Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and I'm here with my partner, the King of Timonium, Mr. Gary Quill. This week's show is going to be a little different. Instead of doing some handicapping like we often do, we're really going to focus on what this show started out as, and that's a betting show, and becoming a sharper or better better. That's the title. Uh, this week, we're really honored to have a guest who I really look up to. There, there's two people in horse racing uh, over the last few years who I've learned so much from to become a better better and a successful better to where I was losing for years and now I'm winning. And those two people are Tommy Masses, who we had on the show already, and our guest today. And our guest today, you might know him from Twitter, Inside the Pylons. Uh, I'm really honored to have him. Uh, GQ and I sat down with him, and we conducted an interview. He was so nice to stay for so long. Uh, we recorded for about an hour and 40 minutes. So I really think this is a, an episode that is well worth your time. I know we go along often, but this one will definitely be worth your time. And I think it's something you can come back to uh, in the future and kind of as a refresher course. I actually do that listening to uh, ITP. He was on with Jason Beam a, about two years ago, and I find myself every five to six months going back and listening to those recordings just to kind of like almost like a refresher course in how to bet. And I hope that this show becomes that as well. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to uh, GQ who's going to start us off, and, and him and I sat down with Inside the Pylons. Okay, so we're going to have uh, some fun this podcast. No uh, handicapping of cards, no pick fives, and it's certainly going to be worth it because uh, we have a, uh, our special guest who's just agreed to just um, be a wealth of information or answers to, for, for us. Uh, and uh, so welcome to the Better Betting Podcast inside the pylons uh how are you doing and how's vegas treating you these days great gary uh vegas is treating me okay because i don't really go out into it at all so <laughs> i'm good like i stay away stay away from the vegas that most people know just once in a while before the pandemic here you know go, right. go to restaurants and down to the strip for hockey games and stuff like that and but I'm not, uh, I don't partake in too much that's Vegas. We have our own little community out where I live and it's, it's just like a regular place. Good, good. That's great. Well, uh, we have a bunch of things to, to talk to you about and the best way to start it off is at the beginning. Uh, how did you get into uh, be deciding that uh, for a profession you're gonna follow the horses? And um, when you decided to do that, take us through what your typical day is as far as getting ready to be a professional horse player slash sports wager. Yeah, I just, when I was, when I was a kid, I started going to the races with my grandparents and, uh, you know, I like, I like going and I like the gambling aspect of it. And as I got older, I mean, older, I say like 13, 14. I started to really take it seriously and uh, just started to learn as much about it as I could. And uh, just even back then, I kind of noticed how, because you had to go to the track back then and everybody was at the track to bet. And 
I just kind of noticed that the people that were wagering weren't quite, weren't quite rocket scientists. <laughs> if, you, if you get my drift, and uh, <laughs> I figured that if I, uh, if I uh, could possibly, you know, be a little bit smarter than they were, I could, I could get their money. So uh, I started figuring out everything I could about the game, and it basically became, you know, main focus of mine all through my younger years and uh, just learned as much as I could and went from there and became pretty successful at gambling pretty quick. And, you know, by 17, 18, I was, you know, pretty, uh, you know, I'd say pretty proficient in what I was doing. And it just kind of snowballed from there and just kept on going and went to, went to, when I went to high school, I, went to college at night so I could get out of school at 1130 so I could go to the track every day when I was a junior and a senior. So, you know, I tried to, my whole life was basically revolved around going to track. So um, I took, and of course I took my college courses on days that there was no track. So, so I, you know, and when I went to college, I, when I graduated high school, I ba I basically needed two 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 minimum semesters of college to have enough credit for two years, and uh, so I figured I'd go to junior college for a couple semesters and get two years of credit and then transfer to a major university. But then on one one semester one semester of my finals for uh, junior college, I transferred. I mean, I uh, I skipped my I skipped my finals and went to Golden Gate for a pick six carryover. So <laughs> hey, priority. I realized that going to college was futile, and there was no sense, uh, you know, attempting to extend that endeavor. So 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 pretty much in a span of uh, give or take a half a dozen years or so. Uh, you became proficient in playing the horses and you recognized that uh, you made a decent uh, amount of money in the long haul to do it uh, for a living. So yeah, well, back, back then I was more of a degenerate, like, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have any expenses and at least I treated my money like monopoly money. So okay. I, I would, you know, I would be able to, I would be able to go to track back then and literally turn nothing into a lot all the time. And my opinion was very good. And back then, a lot of people didn't have opinions that were good. I did all my work and I didn't have any fear of, you know, wagering or losing even back then. Something you learn, it, it's best to learn that when you're younger or when you don't have any responsibilities. Sure to learn the no fear, the no fear thing than when you do, because when you do have responsibilities and stuff, you know, you can actually get hurt from it. So, but back then it was no big deal. If I just lost all my money, I didn't have any money to go to the track the next day, but you know, I could get money, you know, I was, you know, I was proficient in betting and, you know, I could get money from many spots, you know, and, my opinion was very solid. So it, it basically took no time for me to run, 
run run some run nothing into something run nothing in, back into something real quick and you know i was so, just i was you know i was just a, i was just a semi degenerate but i knew what i was doing cuz it did i didn't care so but then you know as you got older you you it turned into you got you got those responsibilities having a place yeah. to live a car payments and that kind of stuff yeah but at the same time, you had already learned how to, I guess, uh, somewhat be a money manager uh, or uh, be able to, to handle the fact of, you know, you're not going to have a constant income. You're going to have the peaks and valleys of your income, I guess, kind of like a salesman almost. And uh, you just, uh, a lot of people don't have the stomach or the heart for that. But yeah. You obviously well, do. Well, yeah, that's 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 what I meant. Like when you're younger is the best time to learn to learn how to leverage, you know, leverage your opinion and whatever you've gotten, you know, go forward with your money. And like, you know, like I was telling you earlier, like, you know, I, I'd go to Vegas for three months and stuff and stuff like that. I mean, that's just just, you know, I was having fun. I was a kid, you know, and I had no no responsibilities and everything. And and uh, you know I'm 18 years old and I'm I'm you know I I can go to Vegas you know I know you know you have to be 21 but I, I got around that and uh, and like yeah I was you know I'd go to Vegas and I was RFB which is full comp you know the old oh, term okay. full comp you know wherever I went and and uh, yeah I mean I just you know you basically I was just having a good time that was more of my degeneracy like you know I didn't save any money or whatever, you know, whatever I had in my pocket played and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, like, but there's a, you know, it's different. It's different now. I, I never tell anybody to do that. You know, if you're trying to win, sure. like I, I was winning obviously and spending a lot of money, but you know, that's not what, that's not what gambling is. That's, that's the more fun part of gambling, which people try to do, you know, nowadays, but you know, when I talk about it now, it's, it's just the winning part of gambling. And, you know, at some point you the, the, the light switch flips on you and you realize, Hey, I've got to do this seriously now. So, mm. you know, not that I didn't do it seriously when I was doing that. Cause like I said, I, I put in the work and I yeah. did everything and, and uh, yeah, to where I could be able to win, but got then it. you just have to figure out, Hey, you know, I'm going to, stop i'm going to start having to do this seriously and not not uh blowing off all the money and you know buying shit and stuff like that so right spending <laughs> it yeah so well, cool i well i know eric ha has uh questions about the ups and downs so i'll, I'll let eric uh go go for it yeah hey itp how you doing hey eric um do you have do you have a lot of ups and downs when you're playing? Is it kind of a steady profit you're making, or or do you have the peaks and valleys that GQ talked about? I can do whatever I want to do. I I can make it to where it's just basically straight up. I can do or I can have peaks and valleys. There's obviously there's certain bets which are have way more peaks and valleys than other bets. Mm -hmm. um, back when you know, back when the rebate first started, I was definitely peaks and valleys. Like I would have swings that were astronomical because 
I was just betting as much as I could, as fast as I could. And, you know, the, the situation was where that was optimal. Even though you had the peaks and valleys, it was the optimal way to play. Now I've kind of relegated myself into just kind of just a steady, a steady upward motion. Um, I try to play everything and conservatively more so than I used to um, kind of filtered. I've kind of filtered away from the bigger tracks and gone towards more smaller tracks, which mean you can't bet as much, obviously. And I'm much more selective than I used to be um, because the rates, the, the, the rebates have gone down and the, the, the host fees have gone up at a lot of these tracks and the rebates have gone down and the product deterioration of most tracks is basically astronomical in the last 10 years or so. And uh, so the combination of that, you kind of forces you to be more selective and it forces you just to go where you're going to have less of a chance to have big swings in my estimation. So. And, and do you typically play, I guess you kind of answered it, but do you typically play more for like the home run type bet or? It's, I play a mix. Like I'll play big carryovers aggressively, but I also bet, you know, in race tries and supers and stuff like that. Like I, I'm more of a complicated bet guy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but it's it's the combo it's the combo of everything like like if i just wanted to play for home runs i would play huge pick fives at all the tracks all the time and stuff like that but i just kind of i kind of veer away from that because uh i i have to for that i have to do a lot more work than what i do like when i bet races i basically look at the race for one or two minutes you know three minutes before post and I try to find something that I can capitalize on in the race so I don't have to do any work. It's just the work is right there in front of me. And pick fives and stuff, I, I actually have to look ahead and figure out stuff, you know, about where other people are going to go. And it's just, it's a more complicated process. And I've become a lot more lazy here <laughs> as time has gone on because I can win without doing the work. I could win more probably. For sure, I would say if I did a lot of work, but that that work that work would take away from my time on betting, and the betting, the betting is where you know that's my that's my best asset. So that's where I want to focus on. So I would rather spend that time betting than working, and uh, that's basically you know that's the decision I've come to right now. Now things change all the time, obviously. And uh, I adapt to whatever, you know, like, you know, just during the pandemic here, a friend out of the blue, you know, called me up and said, Hey, I've got, I've got a bet for our account. And uh, he goes, I'm playing the daytime tracks. Do you want to play? The only nighttime track was Remington at the time. And it's a quarter horse track. And he knew I, he knew I was playing Remington because there were no other tracks. And he goes, you want to play Remington? So I said, sure. I says, he goes, well, here, you know, here it is. And, you know, go ahead and bet, you know, cause I'm not playing that. So I, you know, just like out of the blue, I started playing, I, I started going back on Betfair, which I'd been on Betfair when it first started for a long time until they kind of told me you can't play anymore. And uh, so, you know, just like that, I adapted to that. So I played 
Remington for a couple months on Betfair because it was available. So you just, anything in gambling, like when you're proficient at stuff, you have to take whatever opportunity is given you. But right now I'm, I'm just sticking to, right now I've, I've just kind of, I'm in the zone where I play carryovers at big tracks. I'll play, I'll play odd, I'll, you know, I'll play, I'll play jackpot force outs aggressively. Um, I'll play some races at big tracks. You know, I, I, I'm very selective. So, you know, if I look at like a Del Mar card or a Santa Anita card, I might play one race a day. Um, you know, but at the smaller tracks, I'm more apt to bet, be a little more, be a little more, I don't want to say aggressive, but just be a little more lax with what I'm, what I decide to play on. Like I, you know, I've got to find something in a race to where I think has value and I'll play, I'll play it accordingly. And, uh, and I was going to say, do you, do you bet seven days a week and, and, and how many tracks are you playing on a typical day? I pretty much bet seven days a week. Um, I, I basically, I'm open to playing anything. I play harness, thoroughbreds, quarter horses. I'll even play the odd dog carryover force out. Hmm. Um, you know, if I see it on the carryover list and I have time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm open to anything. On, like on a Friday during a busy, a Friday, Saturday during a busy week, I'll probably look at, just off the top of my head, 12 tracks a day, wow. you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm telling you that like most of the races I'll look at for one or two minutes and decide nothing, nothing there. And then I'll look at the next race coming up at the next track and, you know, but I've got six TVs on six tracks most of the days. And, you know, I'm just cycling. I'm just cycling, looking at, you know, for stuff that I like, or I think I can exploit and, extract money from that race hmm. and uh you know i don't i'm not looking to like horses because that kind of takes that kind of takes uh you know that kind of takes a little bit of work and whatever i'm i'm my first instinct is to not like horses so hmm. if i see a race and i don't like a favorite then i know that pretty much everything everything that i do in that race is going to be value because you know once you don't like the favorite everything else becomes, you know, everything else in the race pretty much becomes value. And uh, so, so you have something to pick from that you automatically know is going to be value. Um, yeah, so that's basically, you know, and I'm just ripping through races. And uh, that's, that's basically what I do. You know, there, I do play pick fives and stuff, which obviously, I have to look at that ahead of time. But I don't, I don't put much work into that either. You know, if, if I know the track, I'd say the average pick five takes me 10 to 15 minutes. If I, if I'm going to bet a lot, um, if I'm going to bet a lot and I kind of have to think about it, 20, 30 minutes tops. Hmm. Um, it's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of natural to me. I don't, you know, I don't, if you saw me betting on the computer and saw it, it's just, you know, you, I just trained, you know, I've trained my brain to basically, I mean, I, I know how the, I know how the computer guys do bets and stuff like that. So it's just, it's just, you kind of train your brain to think like how you need to lay out the tickets and stuff and you just kind of just zap them in. So hmm. it's, uh, so the, 
did I understand you right when you were talking about the Betfair app that they, because of your success betting um, at Remington, they cut you off? No, no. Back in the old days when they oh, first okay. started, I had an account with them and was playing was playing with them, you know, for a few years. And uh, then they implemented a, a uh, winner surcharge. So mm. if you won too much wow. without paying a certain percentage of your commission or a certain percent of those winnings as a commission, uh. they then docked you with a surcharge of between 20 and 60%. Wow. Holy moly. Yeah. And uh, so they were basically telling you that if you're taking money out of the system, and not paying us our fair share, then we don't want you. Wow. So, and that's, and me not being a trader, traders pay, trade, uh, how can I explain this? Traders, you know, traders are just kind of skimming stuff off the top and trading their way to equity. Whereas I basically was just taking on the world on my opinion and if I like something or didn't like something, I would just go say, here, come get it. You know what I mean? Sure. And so my win rate was much higher than theirs. So I didn't pay the proper commission in relation to what my winnings were. Hmm. Now, and, and now the Remington thing was different because I was using a friend's accounts and he traded all day and he was more like a trader. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and it was so I wasn't gonna get kicked off of that. So. Well, it it surprised me that you said you would play the smaller tracks, and here's here's where I get to embarrass myself as far as being ignorant to the fact of takeouts. I I would just bet at the tracks that I felt I had the best chance, or it might historically I had the best chance of of winning. There are just some tracks that people will say I can't win money there no matter how hard I try. But explain why the takeout is so important. And if you can compare that to anything else in, in life. Well, the takeout, the takeout, if you're not getting a rebate is ultra important because when you're playing, when you're paying full, full freight takeout on each bet that you're making, right. you have, it's, it's, there are very few people on the planet that can win betting at full takeout. Okay. Like I, I was winning, I was winning for years pre rebate at full takeout, but I was, it, you know, it made me work 60 hours a week. I had to work 60 hours a week. I had to be selective, you know, and I had to be a hundred times smarter in opinion and wagering than my competition to be able to do that. Jeez. And most people can't do that, won't do that, and don't have the ability to do it, don't have the knowledge base to do it. So beating beating takeout, and you know, this this was back in the old days when there were no low takeout bets. You know, everything was everything was, you know, there were no 14% takeouts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there there weren't any, there weren't really any options to veer away from takeouts. The only the only low takeout bet back in those days were pick six carryovers. To be honest with, that was it. There was no other. 
there was no, there were some, there were some tracks that had like twin tries and stuff that had carryovers and stuff like that. But those are tough too, because it's not like you can hit those every day either. So, you know, obviously it's not a jackpot bet, but they're taking a percentage of the pool out for the carryover and the twin try. So those weren't lucrative either. Um, but yeah, back in the old days, it was full takeout on everything unless there was a pick six, pick six carryover. And uh, so you basically just had to be a million times smart in your competition. Today is a little different because they do have low takeout bets right. and there's way more carryovers. There's carryovers and pick fours, pick fives. There's even superfected carryovers. Uh, there's, you know, there's race to race carryovers and super high fives. Right. Uh, you know, so there's way more options out there for people that are just saying, hey, I, I don't get a rebate. I want to play bets where the takeout is lower or almost nothing or less than nothing, to be honest with you, in some cases where you actually have a positive expectation just on the takeout, um, just because of the carryover. So, but if you're playing high takeout bets every day, you, you, you basically, it has to be a full-time job and you have to be as sharp as a tack and you have to bet so efficiently, it's almost impossible. So do you let the takeout of the wager dictate which wagers you're going after? No. Uh, when you get a rebate, when you're a bigger better and you get a rebate, your takeout is the host fee plus the fees of, there's numerous fees. There's the host fee that the track charges for their signal. Right. So let's just say, let's just say that, uh, let's say that uh, Churchill charges 10%, okay, for their host fee to a rebate shop, okay? So then 10% and then the rebate shop has to make a little bit of money and then there's some hub fees and other fees. So let's just say that there's two and a half percent of fees added onto the host fee. So there's 12 and a half percent charged to, as, charge to you for making a bet. So whatever the, whatever the takeout of the bet is, you subtract 12 and a half percent and you get the rest as a rebate. Gotcha. So if the, if the takeout on the bet is 20, 20, let's just say it's 22 and a half percent, you get a 10% rebate. Gotcha. So that's my cost of the bet and all rebate players in general who bet any kind of volume, it's host fee plus the, extra fees that are added on that that's the cost of the bet and that's kind of what i'm telling you with the small tracks now the small tracks have lower host fees mm. so my cost of the bet at a smaller track is less than it is at nyra churchill keeneland <laughs> exactly strong exactly right so that makes it easier for me to win or it makes it, it makes me have to do less work to win. How's right. that? And, uh, and even though the, even though the host fee is lower too, there's less, and that's where uh, a lot of the rebate players should be playing and they do. They're still not sh as sharp there as they are at the big tracks. 
a lot of the big tracks have, you know, you see it out there. They have, you know, optics EQ and they just have so much information out there that you can basically be well ahead of the pack, you know, on being smart and you don't even have to do the work. So, but on the smaller tracks, there's just not, there's not, there's not too much sharpness out there and there's no way you can buy sharpness. And I, I heard you, I've heard you on other podcasts and I wanted you to try to explain when you stress that you should make bets when you have an advantage. Kind of describe or give an example of, you know, how, how does the average guy who kind of wants to have an advantage or feel that he has an advantage in making a bet, how do you recognize that? Well, we can go back. The easiest way is what I talked about a little bit ago was if you can, if you can find a race with a bad favorite or a favorite that you think is bad, then basically everything else in the race has value. Gotcha. Because if you can, if you can hate the favorite, then everything else. Now, I shouldn't say everything else, but there's going to be a bunch of spots in that race that have value automatically for you. Right. If, if your opinion is I hate the favorite, then, then my math skills are telling you that you have a bunch of spots in that race that have value. Gotcha. Now you have to decipher those, but they're there. If your opinion is right on hating the favorite. So that, that, that's the easiest place to look. Right. And like you said, also earlier, uh, you look to not like a horse. <laughs> like you said, yeah, if, you, that's, if you don't like the favorite, then that's a race that you want to look into. Correct. Like we were, you know, like I was joking with Beamy the other day. He, he made a crack at one of his Grants Pass races where I think the favorite was four to one. And he said, most, mo mo most industry people will tell you this is a great betting race, but you know, ITP says it's not. And it's like, that's exactly right. Like right. if you listen to all these people, they'll look up at the board and they'll say, oh, the favorite's four to one. This is a great betting race. No, a great betting race is when there's a three to five shot and you hate him. It's not right. a race where four horses are four and five to one and two horses are seven to one. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, if you, if you like one of those, if you love one of those horses, then maybe it's a great betting race, but it's not, it's nowhere near a great betting race, you know, in the, in the, in the long-term picture of great betting races. Right, because, because all of those horses that are four to one, five to one, whatever, that's probably the odds that they should be. So yeah, or less. Yeah, or less, exactly, right. because of the takeout. When, when you, when you hate the favorite, like if you hate a three to five shot, well, you're looking at, you're, you know, you, you're, I mean, if you're looking at over 60 points of takeout right there. So if you're, if you might not be right all the time, but you just by hating that have made pretty much everything you're going to bet on, everything you could bet on in the race, positive expectation. Now there's going to be some horses you like better out of the ones that are left that are going to be more positive expectation. And those are the ones you want to go to. But I mean, you know, same thing. If you hate an even money shot, you know, that's, I mean, that's half, the, it's not half the pool, but it's half the pool being paid out. So, you know, once you figure in takeout, you're, you're adding 40% back 
above takeout or you know you're taking 40 percent out of the 15 or 16 percent win takeout right so everything in the race becomes positive ev and all the gimmicks become positive ev and all so that's that's the best starting point you can find in 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 you know making good bets is just bet races where you hate the favorite what about on the con on the converse of that let's say there is like a three to five shot and you feel that horse probably won't lose or can't lose yeah. is that a race you'd avoid or you key that horse on top and see if you like prices with it how would you approach that there are very few three to five shots that are value, but they do come along once in a while. And obviously when you're playing pick X sequences, you have to, you have to, you know, you have to use them or single them sometimes. So you kind of, you just have to analyze each situation. I, you know, I bet chalk all the time. Like if I look at a race and, and I do like the chalk, then I'll have to to bet that race. I'll have to find something else with him that 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 adds value to him, because um, there's that you like and you think is value. There's usually not a lot of value there, so it's very thin. And 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 when you are you're basically splitting hairs. I mean, when you're when you're when you're in that category and you like something, there's very little upside, and even there's very, if you really like him, there's very little downside too. Like that's pretty much probably where he's going to be. So with it, you know, it's with long shots, you get a little more vari variation on where horses should be. Um, or when you hate a three to five shot, that's when you get, that's when you get bigger var variation. But when you like a three to five shot, there's just not going to be too much upside. But in pick X bets, there could be upside because you know, like I tell everybody, singling a three to five shot in a pick in a pick four, pick five, pick six is fine because if you're right, you are guaranteed, you know, to be plus EV on that. It's when you use the three to five and a five to two, or is when you're going to lose EV if the three to five shot wins. And there's nothing wrong with singling or keying a, a favorite, but if you're doing it in in race bet you need to find something else that makes the bet worthwhile in the race. I, I will bet the odd three to five shot to win once in a while, but it's rare, very, very few and far between. And what um, if it's a, a, a three to five shot and you say you have to find something else of value? Let's say um, there's a four to one shot in the race who you feel should be five to two, two to one. So you feel there is good value on the four to one. Would yeah, you well, link that three to five with the four to one or are you talking value like a longer shot? No, no, no. I'm just talking about something else. Well, when you like the three to five shot, there's not going to be much either way on that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you need to find something else. Like you need to find a, you need to hate the second choice. How's that? Okay. You need to hate the second choice or you need to hate the third choice and love the second choice. Or, you know, you just, you need to have an opinion on the rest of the, you need to basically take look the others as a separate picture and then say hey well this horse is now this horse is the second choice and i hate him so but i like the third choice so i'm going to play an exacta keying the favor to the third choice because by hating the second choice you've now added value to are you now you know you've now taken him out of the equation which adds value to the third choice
So it's just, it's a domino thing. Like you just, you need to find some level of value in that race somewhere along the line. You're just using the three to five shot that you like as, you know, you're basically taking the race, you're basically taking the race as a separate picture and already declared the three to five shot a winner. Because if you don't like the three to five shot to key him on top in the gimmicks, then you shouldn't <laughs> playing him. So once you've done that, you need to look at it as a separate race. And if you could find, I hate the second choice, I hate the third choice, well, that's then you can really invest in that race. Hmm. So it's just, it's a separate race. Once you once you decide, hey, the three I like this three to five shot, then you have to just take him out of the equation and say, hey, okay, well now what am I going to do? So it just becomes a separate race. I like that way of thinking about it, saying it's like a different yeah. race, and then yeah, and you the second choice you becomes a favorite almost, right? And then it's like, all right, I don't like the exactly. Favorite anyway. That's exactly right. And you need to find something with of the remaining, you know, of the remaining race. So that's 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 how you approach that i mean that's you know and there's nothing wrong with that that's great because beating a second favorite when you know a three to when you love a three to five is just as good as beating a favorite when you know you you don't like the favorite i mean it's just it's the same theory it's just a different it's the same it's the same theory it's just a different it's it's your underneath level instead of your top level on your wager in race. All right. So, uh, with that being said, we're going to pick your brain on some uh, specific betting questions, verticals, and horizontals, and all types of bets. So, I'll let uh, Eric uh, go first. All right. So, like, like personally, I have a lot more success with horizontal bets. Um, I, I've done pretty well with pick fives, that's kind of what I bet more than anything else. Takeout's lower. Takeout, and that's why I bet it. Like you mentioned, there the you swing go. for the fences. If you were, you'd be playing. That's what I do. I basically play pick yeah. fives, and here and there, I'll play a race if I like something. Um, but here's some vertical situations. H how would you advise people handle it? Let's say you really like a four to one shot in a race. Um, you think it's good value. You think the horse has a very good shot at winning. How would you play that horse? I know it's hard. A lot of these, it depends on what else is in the race. But what would you be looking to do? Yeah. It I can't, I, these questions are very tough to, for me yeah. to answer because okay. I just can't, every, there's a million, there's a million different situations and a million different possibilities. And like, if you like a four to one and it's a seven horse race and you don't like anything else, probably better win bet. If you like a four to one and you hate the four to five shot in the race, then you want to play gimmicks. It's just, you know, if you like a four to one and it's a 12 horse field and you don't have any opinion then you probably just want to make a win each, each way. If you like a four to one and you like two other 15 to one shots, then you want to play gimmicks, king the four to one to the other 15 to ones to be in the number. Okay. It's just, you know, there's no, that you have to, you, there's, this is, this is kind of what's funny is because that's people kind of are fixed on their process with wagers and it doesn't matter the situation, they wager the same in each one. And I, there are just millions of, there are millions of possibilities and you need, it's, it's so imperative that you need to recognize the situation and then convert it into the correct wager. You can't convert the wager into the situation 
or the, you can't, you can't, you have to convert, you have to convert the situation into a wager. You can't say, I usually bet when, or I usually bet exact as in this, in situ, you know, it's just, everything's different. Like you need to look, you need to look at the situation first and then find the wager. And I can't tell you what is proper unless I know the situation. Right. And okay. like, there's so much, there's so much more that goes into it. They're just liking a four to one shot. And yeah. what should I do? You know, I mean, it's just, I can't, if, if I had a specific situation, I could tell you what I think was best, but that's only good for that situation. There's a thousand other different situations than the next thousand. Right. So you would play, you wouldn't, depending on what's going on, you, you would play exact as triple supers. You wouldn't obviously limit yourself based on what you see in the ring. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, if I, if I like something and I think there's value, I mean, there's just, there's nothing, there's nothing I won't play. Like I'm always looking for the com most complicated wager. Um, uh, when, you know, like my, my, the vast majority of my wagering are, are tries and supers because as I explained earlier, it takes me one or two minutes to formulate whether I can play those or not. And, but they're my lowest return bets because I'm not doing anything fancy. I'm just more, I'm a little more mentally mechanical on those because most of them are based around hating a favorite. And then I just start playing around that and my returns low, but I can do quantity. So if I can do more quantity and my returns lower, that's better than being more selective and my return higher. So that's just, that's just how it is at the present moment. And that's just, and I just, I can't, it's so much easier to not like horses and, and create bets than to like horses. To like, horses you, to like horses, you have to work, have an opinion, and be sharp. And I'm not, there's a million people out there that do that, all right? But I'm, I'm not one of them. I used to be one of them, but I'm not one of them now. Could I be one tomorrow? Sure, I could. But I don't want to, and I don't, you know... I just can't, I, when I look at a race, I'm, my, my first thing I'm looking at is who I, who I don't like. And once you, once you find, now I will look at races, I will look at races where I'm looking to don't like somebody and I like somebody. It just happens, you know, just, you know, instinct and going, how is this horse 14 to one? You know what I mean? And it's like, this horse is going to hit the number. Right. You know, I love this horse to hit the number in this spot and I'll key on him. But my first instinct when I'm looking at the race is to not like somebody. And if, and if I like that horse, I'll key him to whoever I think, you know, at 14 to one, you don't need to drift from the favorite because you know, you don't need to hate the favorite if you like a 14 to one shot, if that makes any sense. Right. No, it's still going to pay. And yeah. Let, let me ask you, you, wait, you're, you wait all your bets accordingly to your opinion, obviously. Yeah. A, a little more specific situation. I run into a lot. And this is where I tend not to bet vertically probably. So I'm studying a race and I look and I don't like a lot of the horses in the race. And I'm able to basically eliminate as, as major contenders or horses I feel that are going to be either value or have a chance of winning most horses and I'm down to a two to one shot. Let's say like a six to one, a 10 to one. Those are the only three horses I have interest in. What I, and, and let's say I like the two to one a little better than six to one, a little better than 10 to one, but they're all somewhat similar. The way I would play it now, maybe I'm wrong. 
is I would lean on that 10 to one shot. Um, I'd box probably him with the two to one. I'd box him in an exact with the six to one. You know, maybe I played some triples and, and other things with him too. But how would you, would you approach it similar or are you just on that situation that, that comes up? Yeah, that, that, that would be if, if what you described where you like the, where you like the six to one a little bit better than the two to one and you like the 10 to one a little bit better than six to one, I would definitely focus on keying on the 10 to one shot. No, I'm saying I like the 10 to one a little less, but I feel. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit yeah. less, but better, right. better, better meaning price wise. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that. I'm always thinking like that. I'm sorry. Like the, te- you, it, it, the way you sounded, it was like each horse, each, each horse you went, there was more value with each horse. Right, right. No, I understand what you're saying. Okay. So, so the way you explained it was, obviously, if you just like the two to one a little, or if you just like the two to one a little bit better than the six to one, and the six to one a little bit better than ten to one, then the ten to one's way better than the two to one value wise. Right. So I would I would definitely be focusing on crushing the ten to one shot. Right. All right. So that's with the two to one and the six to one, and you know I'm not I'm not adverse to, you know a a try box of the three, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's, you basically narrowed your opinion down to three horses. So mm-hmm. I would, I would bet the 10 to one to win. I I'd play exact, exact as with the other two boxes. And, you know, I would probably even press the 10 to one for a little bit more because that's, I just know that's right in the long run. But, okay, so, you know, yeah. if, if you're betting, if you're betting, if that's your opinion, you're betting the race, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind the try box there on those three, and I like I said, I'd probably press the ten to be first or second for more. So, All right, thanks. I um I, yeah. I've been able to convince GQ and, and had some guests on that have uh have mocked place and show betting. So I think I got GQ away from betting place and show, yeah. even though every time he likes a ten to one shot and they run second, he goes, "Look, you cost me this," but in the long run, he's going to win. Um, so if you want to talk about that, I'd love to hear it. But um, GQ, you want to, your, your specialty bet. I know you wanted to mention something about that and talk to him about like, yeah. from, from what you said, ITP, uh, talking about the wagers and stuff, it's, and, and I probably the majority of horse players fall into this category that they make the same bet all the time. Like if they're triple yeah. players, they're either they're boxing on it or they're keying the horse they like the most on top. Whereas I'm hearing from you that we need to be uh, flexible with how we make our wagers and, and let, let our opinion dictate what type of bet we make. Is yeah. that, that yeah, fair? That's correct. Yeah. I talked about it earlier. That's one of the problems. Like people, people aren't making bets off the situation. They're just making bets off of what they normally make all the time. And you need, you need to bet what the race gives you and the situation, the cards that are dealt you in the race. Right. And each, each race has totally different situations. So you need to deal, you need to be flexible with your wagering to try to extract money on whatever situation it gives you. Uh, coupled with what your opinion is. So with, with that being said, I feel like I'm a man on an island when I look at a race and I find a horse that I don't think can win the race, but at this level consistently runs either second or third. Am I out of my mind by 
keying that horse in the second spot or the third spot with other ones that I like on top? Oh, only you're, you're out of your mind in general. Okay. Depends on the price of the horse. Like, like well, we're, we're, let's say the horse no, is say, say, say he's like the fourth choice or whatever. Yeah, then you're out of your mind. Okay. The only, the only time you're not out of your mind was a situation we just talked about a little bit ago where there's like a horse that you think cannot lose a three to five shot. And then that horse would become your key underneath because if he's the fourth choice, then obviously you're getting away from the second and third choices pretty much. Right. So, so I'm basically pigeonholing myself into a slot where the horse will likely run. And so yeah. everybody probably has him in that spot. So well, not necessarily, but it, if you, if you are liking a horse to finish second or third, don't love a horse to beat him. Okay. Then right. and, and that's the thing. I, I, I would spread on top. I, I'd have. Yeah, but that's, that, that's what I'm saying. If you don't a, know, if you don't know who will beat him, but you think he can run second, then you, then you. I, I shouldn't have an opinion yeah. on the race. Yeah, you shouldn't do that because you can't beat him by committee. Gotcha. Because, because if you use five horses on top, when you're using him second, you're saying he can beat at least four at least four of those five horses okay right. so if he can beat at least four of those five horses then he can beat them all mm. because you're not keying you're just you're hoping that one of those horses shows up to beat him but not four others does well, that make sure. sense yeah definitely so, so, so you you've you've answered half of my second part of, of my next question is in that What's the difference between a good bet and a bad bet? So you've defined <laughs> what a bad bet is. Yeah, well, that's a good. I I can't define what a good bet and a bad bet are. You know, I it's. I mean, a good bet is any bet that you think will be a winner long term. Okay. You know, if you make that bet a thousand times, will you show a profit? That's how you have to look at every bet you make, and. A bad bet, same thing. I mean, you just have to say, man, this bet, you know, a lot of people go with the theory with, well, I know this isn't a great bet, but this time I think it's okay. No, it's not okay. If it's not a good bet, it's not a good bet. I mean, you just can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't make bad, I mean, you just can't make bad bets. You know, you, you can make them once in a blue moon, but that that's usually not the, usually not where people fall, not, not where people fall into, you know, it's okay. usually bad bet after bad bet. And, and that, that, that cuts into your ROI. Of course. And just like, like we were talking about when you bet place that cuts into your ROI. Mm -hmm. If you take every, if you take every dollar you bet to place and move it to win, you'll be, you'll be ahead in the long run. You'll be ahead just estimated probably 3% in the long run. Nice. Um, same with show, like each, each, each spot is like two and a half, three percent. So if you move and like, that's what I was just telling this to somebody the other day, it's like people bet win in place because they say, they say to themselves, well, you know, I'll be able to, I'll be able to last longer or lose, I'll lose less quick. 
by betting the place. And like, I try to explain, I try to explain, I say, if you're making a bet that's 3% worse than the other one, how can you lose less quick if every bet you make is three, wins three, wins on average 3% less money than the other one? It's like, no, you're losing 3% faster. There's no, there's no way around that. It's not, you're making your money last longer. No, you're losing your money faster. Because, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. It's just, there's, it's completely the opposite of what people are thinking they're trying to do. And, well, you know, the best way I can explain place betting and is if you, if you, when you bet the place, if the favorite runs first or second, your place price gets decimated. Okay. So if you like the favorite, then you can't bet the place. All right. Because your price price gets decimated. Right. If you hate the favorite, then you're so much better off betting gimmicks with the place money or moving that money to win, to be honest with you, if you hate the favorite because the win offered more value. Right. So there's just no, there's no justification. Like, there's no justification for making place bets on any regular basis. There's, you know, the odd one in 10,000 races where a place bet might be justified, whether it's against a plunger, a place plunger, right. Or track or, you know, betting an entry where you think they'll run one, two, and there's not a lot of place money on it, <laughs> something like that. Right. Um, but if you're betting win in place, just as a habit, you're, you need to be very good. You need to be, three percent better than you would be betting just to win which is a lot to be honest with you right i mean well, I, yeah i'm good I'll, I'll let eric ask about the pick five since it's near and dear to his heart yeah this is <laughs> that, that i i play the uh, the most <laughs> by far and uh, i know a lot of our listeners too you know we kind of go over a pick five sequence most of our shows so just a, a few basic questions um how do you decide whether you're going to play a pick five or not. And I, just give you an example. Yes, I don't know if you were playing yesterday at Indiana Grand or you looked. That would be Wednesday for the listeners. It was an off-the-turf day, and I looked at the races, and I just saw a few races where I thought the favorites were going to be really tough. I remember the first leg, there were going to be two favorites. I think one went off maybe three to five or four to five, and the other was probably about eight to five, and I thought they definitely, one of them is going to win. I liked the horse in the last leg who won, but he paid maybe 580 or something like that. Six horse in that last race that won. Okay. Uh, and I think the pick five ended up paying 300. I'm glad I did not play it. Uh, and I didn't play it because I didn't think it would pay that much. And I, I just didn't feel like investing a lot, like in doing a five or $10 pick five that was very skinny, um, which sometimes I'll do. But anyway, so how do you decide if you're going to play it or not? If it's too chalky, do you just bet more without spreading or do you avoid the sequence? Can you talk about that? Yes, I did play the Indiana pick five yesterday. Um, and yes, I did. I did get taken down. Um, I I still had it, but the eight would have been way better for me than than, than the putting up the eight to five shot or whatever. The, the 12 to one morning line shot would have been way better than the eight to five. Shot. What, was it, I didn't end up watching the end. Was there a DQ? I didn't get to watch. I yeah, up, there was there yeah. was a DQ. The there was a 12 to one shot in God third leg or the fourth leg. I can't remember okay. exactly um, that. Uh, yeah. He came out at the very end because the guy hit him left-handed, but he was winning and oh. they took him down. 
it, you know, he should have came down, but it was just, but yeah, like if you can look at a sequence and you can find races where you can gain equity um, with your opinion, whether it's one horse that you like or beating a favorite and you can find a couple of those races in the sequence, then yeah, I mean, you just kind of need to glance at it and see if you can do anything, uh, you know, to where you can, you have, your opinion can get you ahead of the field somehow. You know, like you said, what you said, you said you liked a couple, you, you know, it did look chalky. Mm -hmm. um, if you, if you can take a stand in a race, whether it's against a favorite or on a favorite, or, you know, you just have to find, you have to, you have to look at the races and see, is there anything I can, you know, just a pick five, pick four, all it is, is a, is a, is a parlay, parlay multiplier. Each race, all you're doing is parlay, is multiplying, multiplying your original investment. So if you go three deep in the first race and you catch a five to one shot and you're three deep, well, you've now doubled what you invested. So that money rolls into the next race. So if you like an even money shot in the next race and that horse wins, well, now you've quadrupled your original investment. So that's kind of how you have to look at it. You have to say, can I get through these races and keep going forward with my parlay multiplier, all right? And not go backwards like a lot of people do. Or, or lose it all. There's nothing wrong with losing it all. Going, going backwards two races in a row is way worse than losing it all in a race, if that makes any sense. Like if you're playing combos that can keep going backwards, you know, where you catch an eight to five shot where you went four deep, or you catch a, and you, and then the next race you catch a six to five shot where you went three deep, well, you went backwards twice in a row. You're way better off singling the eight to five shot and going forward. And, and, and that's what people don't understand. Like when you use an all, you're taking all the money you have in your basket and you're betting it all to win equally on every horse in the race. How many people would take all the money they have in their pocket and go up to the window and say, give me one tenth of all I have in my pocket on all 10 horses? <laughs> Nobody. Right. But they do it in pick five bets like it's, some people say it's great to do. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous thing, you know, you could ever imagine if you really think about it. Because when you explain it the way I just explained it, would you go up to the window and bet, you know, one-tenth of all the money you have on all 10 horses? Nobody, everybody would look at you like you're crazy. But in a pick five bet, it's like somehow, you know, because Todd Shrupp says use the all button, other touts say use the all button, somehow it's accepted as as okay to do. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's just terrible. I mean, it's just. So I've, I'll tell you, I, I've heard you talk about this and I'm, I'm torn a little bit on it. I tend to agree with you mostly. Uh, and you're probably right more than me, I'm sure. But um, I got burnt so much not using the all button because I tend to either single or like single price horses. And so I might have an eight to one shot single, the 10 to one shot single. I hit that one. And then in the race, I'm not really sure of where I ended up going deep because I thought it was wide open. I don't use the all button. 
and now some horse, whatever the odds are, comes in and, and beats me out. I know at Oakland I had one where it was like a $10,000 pick four, and I had, I think, nine of the 11 horses, and of course, one of the horses I didn't use wins, paid 10 grand. So I've gone back and forth where I don't use all, but I'm not, I don't use it frequently, but when I'm singling prices where I only have prices in certain legs, I kind of don't want to get beat when I have like eight out of 10. I know it's silly and I understand what you're saying, but that, that's the times I'm using it. So hopefully you don't look down on me too much for that. No, I, listen, I, I, I would need, I would need a storage bin to put all my tickets in that I've been beat using nine of 11 or yeah. eight of 10, just like you say. Okay. Because I, I literally, I literally will not hit the all button and I, I try to wait everything too. So, I mean, it's really, I mean, you know, I'll, if I play eight horses out of 10 in a race, it'll usually be like one subset for six X and one subset for three X and one subset for one X or whatever. Yeah. But I, I just will not, I, I will not find, I will not use horses ever that I think have no chance. Hmm. Now there are races where I think every horse has a chance and I'll weight them accordingly, accordingly, but they're, they're few and far between. And, <laughs> right. and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that anybody's wrong, wrong for using the all button. It's just, it's wrong in the long run. And it's wrong how most people formulate tickets because most people, when they're formulating tickets, aren't keying prices like you said. Um, and also best thing I can tell you, if you're, if you're, if you look at a race and say it's wide open, all right. And you say, anybody can win this race. I can make a case for anybody, mm -hmm. right? If you, let's say it's a 10 horse field, right? If you use the five longest shots only and double up on those, meaning double, instead of playing 50 cents to all, right, right. You play a dollar to the five longest shots, assuming that you like them all, you can make a case for all of them. You're not just throwing in two because you don't, you want to use all, all right? But if you actually can make a case for all of them, you'll be way better in the long run playing the five longest shots for a dollar than playing all 10 for 50 cents. And I think I'm just putting it into perspective how, you know, something like that works because right. if you can make it, if you can actually make a case for all the horses and you think they all have a chance, you know, there are very few races like that. All right. You can look, you can look at a thousand races, 10 horse fields and not say, I think that the 10th longest shot, I think that every horse has a, legitimate chance in this race if you ever find races like that then you should just be keying on those long shots that you mm -hmm. think have a chance because i mean how many races do you see where like the longest shot on the board you'd say hey this horse has a legitimate chance and the ninth longest shot because it just doesn't happen i mean they're just not out there yeah so, i think uh you know early on listening you know the two people that i've listened to a lot as far as just via twitter or on podcasts you and Tommy Mass has probably had the most influence on me. And a, a lot of times I was doing kind of what you suggested instead of doubling up though, because I'm not investing maybe as much as, as some people. Um, I, I would just ditch the favorites in a case where I wasn't sure. So I basically just said, all right, anyone four to one or lower, I'm going to get rid of or whatever the number was. And I'll take the six out of the 10 horses that are the prices and um, you know, hope I get lucky. And yeah, the wimp. And, and what I was starting to say, what, what I've, 
learned or had to learn was that it's okay to lose. Um, I lose a lot of pick fives, but if I'm making money in the long term, then I don't care if I'm hitting it, you know, 4% of my pick fives or 3% of my pick fives coming in. If I'm making, uh, you know, an ROI that's 250, uh, you know, I'll take it compared to, you know, winning a higher percent but not making as much. Yeah, every, everything is long term. Everything is long term unless you have to pay the rent tomorrow. <laughs> basically is what it comes down to. If you're trying to win long-term or do this with any kind of, you know, profitability to where you can say, Hey, I can make some money over doing this. Right. And everything has to be looked at long-term. It's just, and that's what people don't look at. They look at like, well, I'm, a, you know, this is, a, this ticket will probably win. Yeah. But it's a terrible ticket. It's like, that, that's one of the things when we go back to when uh, Gary asked me, what's a good bet or a bad bet? You need to be able to look at your ticket once you've figured out what it is, right? And just say, this ticket is just pure crap. I'm not playing this hunk of shit, right? <laughs> and like, there are so many people that can't recognize that. It's like, what am I trying to accomplish by playing this ticket? I've got you know, ABC here, I've got AB in another race, you know, I've got ABCDE in this race. And then I, I did, I did use B and C in this race, but still when you put the whole, whole ticket. Yeah, exactly. That's, and like, you have to say, I'm not playing. That's, and like that's, yeah. that's the whole key. Like you have to recognize a bad bet. That's what happened and yesterday when you in Indiana. Recognize for me. a bad bet, not play. Yeah, that's what happened in Indiana for me yesterday. I realized I was using, basically, I know I've heard you talk about it. So ABC, you're talking about like the favorites. A is a favorite. Yeah, yeah, B, yeah. The the second three favorites. Just for yeah. listeners who might not know. But yeah, that's what happened to me yesterday. I was like, you know what? I'm using chalk in the first leg. Um, even though I was singling chalk in the last leg, uh, even in the middle, I was going a little deep in some legs, but I just felt the chalk was too hard to toss. So I decided not to play it. Then I had a gas leak in my house. That's another story. Uh, kind of threw me out. But even you without should, it, I was you probably, probably shouldn't play if that's happening either. Just, <laughs> no, no. I, I would recommend so. that. <laughs> I'll go out happy at least. And if I lose, I won't know. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that I've heard you talk about a lot, which is so important, and something I talk to both my friends about, and we talk on the show a lot about, is structure of any ticket, but especially a pick five. So let, let's say there's uh, two legs, and in one leg, you like um, three horses, and another leg, there's four horses you think have a shot. So you're, let's say three in one race, four in another. So three times four is 12. Let's say it's a dollar bet. So it's $12 for that, those two parts of that sequence. Now, let's say your bet is, is expensive. It's just not worth it price-wise. And you're going to cut down. When you cut, let's say three by five. So it's 15. Three in one race, five in another. So it's three times five, 15. So you're going to cut down your bet now. Do you automatically cut down the three leg because of math purposes, meaning if you cut from three to two, you're, you're taking off a third of your bet right there. But if you cut one in the five leg, you're only cutting off 20% of your bet. Or, or is it based on the horses and, and how would you decide what to do there? I, I would, first off, I'd never cut a three to a two. Um, Why is that? It's just, it's a math thing because I would cut threes to one all the time, but I'd never cut a three to a two. It doesn't, it doesn't give you enough. It doesn't give you enough 
leverage in other races to reduce by only 33% with the chance that with only taking off one horse. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, um, and you got to understand something like three squares are obviously not all equal. You can have a three square with a six to one, an eight to one, and a 12 to one. You can also have a three square with a, you know, eight to five, a two to one, and a three to one, right? Well, I would, if I had the, if I had the eight to five, two to one, three to one, three square, I would never have that three square. So I would right. always cut it to a single. Even cutting it to a two square, even cutting it to a two square, it's still terrible because you're going to be using two of those three. All right. So when you cut three to one, it gives you way more leverage in the other races. Um, cutting three to two doesn't really do you much. Um, and like I said, you'd never want to cut one out of a six and eight and a 12. Um, it's just three to three to two just isn't in play. Hmm. It, it, if you have, if you have a five, you always, when you're looking at a sequence, you want to, you want to create, you want to create hurdles, but you want to create the least hurdles that you can. When you start, you'd rather have one big hurdle than three small hurdles. One big hurdle, one big hurdle gives you much more opportunity in the other legs. If you, if you create, if you start chopping one horse out of each leg, then that becomes a hurdle on what your opinion was. You still have, you have horses that you like that can beat you. If you create it, it'd be, let's say, let's say you have a $200 ticket. All right. And you need to, you, or let's, let's say, let, let's just be practical. All right. Let's say you have a $600 ticket and you need to cut it down to like 125, 150, a hundred. All right. It's so much better to cut down a five square to a one square than to start chopping off ones and twos to get it down to that number. Because then you create one big hurdle in the five square. And, and obviously, if you, if you win that race, all your other legs are intact. All right. And so what happens is you, you have that one big hurdle. And you automatically gain equity in that hurdle, obviously, because it's a single. And then hopefully you have equity in your other legs. And so it, it's just, it's just so much more efficient to create one big hurdle than it is to create a bunch of little hurdles. So, so let's say you're writing down, but, you know, but, like, but obviously the sequence and who you have makes, you know, makes each decision different, but I'm just talking generally in theory. How's that? Right. So let's say, you, like I said, you have a $600 ticket because you wrote down in the five legs because I think a lot of people approach it this way. I know I kind of do. Yeah. Um, each race you're writing down, you know, who you think has a chance. So let's say when you add all that up, you know, five by four by seven, whatever it comes out to, it comes out to $600. And like you said, you want to be able to cut that down. When you are cutting down, is it strictly the math of it then? Or is it based on your opinions? It's or a combination. Combo? What the... The theory I just gave you was a math theory. Right. It's a math and a and a strategical decision based on just just random theory and 
it's not anything specific with what your opinion or how your ticket looks. All right. Now, if you're five square are six to one, six to one, 10 to one, 12 to one, 20 to one, then you don't want to cut that. Right. All right. But most five squares aren't that, but I'm just giving you an example. Okay. You want to cut when you're looking to cut a ticket, you want to cut the lay in theory off your, this is off your opinion. Okay. If you're going off your opinion, you want to cut down the leg that offers the least value. So if you have a four square and you have A, B, C, D, that's the leg you want to cut. Okay. You, you pick, pick one of them out of a hat. All right. It's way better than going A, B, C, D or cutting other legs to keep that A, B, C, D. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And let's say you are, because again, this is kind of how I play. I don't know if other people play like this, but I single an eight to one shot in one leg who I really like and I want to maximize value as best I can. And in another leg, I do have A, B, C, D, but I don't think any, it's a 10 horse field. I don't think any other horse has a shot. And I basically have that race locked up using A, B, C, D, and I have a price in another leg. When you still cut down, because I understand my win percentage will go down, but I'm saving the money anyway. So in the long run, I might win. Or would you leave the A, B, C, D knowing that you have the eight to one? shot there well that's that's the thing like you just told me you basically have two singles and you have an a b c d so i'm not against that i mean that's okay you know sometimes you have to play that and, and the eight to one like i said each each sequence each opinion is different so each there's no set strategy to this i can just tell you the way you're supposed to think and then work around whatever you have going on in that I'm telling you, like, you know, just, you need to look, you need, you need to look for things and make it, you know, like I said, you just, you need to look for, you look to need to make your tickets the strongest in the legs you don't cut. If that make, you, you can't, you know, if you, if, if you take, if you take, I mean, I, I think I explained it well. I mean, just, you need, you, one big hurdle is better. You don't want to go through your races chipping and chopping because what happens is when you chip and chop a bunch of races, you usually end up taking out the value. Okay. So when you start taking one horse out of this race, two horse out of this race, one horse out of this race, most, almost all the time when everybody, when anybody does that, they're going to be taking horses that have that are prices out. All right. So it's just so much better to leave those in and just chop one big race and say, this is my hurdle. And if I get over that hurdle, then I have everything else I like intact. Right. I think I heard it was either Paula Duke Matisse talking about, I think they use the term like lock up races and stuff like that. I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. That's okay. In the we way disagree, I'm saying. We oh, disagree on that. <laughs> um, I'm almost, I know you you're, you're not saying that exactly because that could imply that you have a lot of the favorites and you're just going to hit the race. I guess that's yeah. probably one reason why you're against it. But what you're saying about the hurdles is, so you're taking a stand on, if you can do it in one race in the sequence or two races where you can take a stand and you just have to be right in that one or two races and the other three races, you're pretty good as far as your value and, and the words you have. Yeah. Is that reading it right? So you basically yes, only have, the, make it into the, a double almost? The perfect scenario is if you have to chop you chop the race with the with that you have the least value in the sequence in 
and hopefully that is has you know close to the most horses it needs to get you where you want to be right okay so that's and that's where you want to chop like like when when paul and duke talk about these lockup races where it can only be these three i i am the complete opposite i am looking to single that race and if everybody else is using three horses there's no value it's 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 in those races it's lose everything or win nothing all right and like if anybody wants to gamble on that proposition just come on over i'll put up a spot where you where you win nothing and a spot where you lose everything and just keep betting with me and we'll see how you do all right and like just come on over i'll, I'll give you that proposition all day long when i see propositions like that i say hey this is a spot for me to separate myself from the field and to make my ticket stronger in other legs where they butchered their ticket because they've wasted one third of their ticket where I now get to play three times the ticket on the other legs. So I get to go to spots where they aren't going to get to. Yep. If, right. if I, if I like those spots. Okay. So I would rather gamble in that race than any other race in the sequence, because I know everybody is doing exactly what they're talking about. That's how you get ahead of the pack. And I guess you just have to be willing to, as a better, swallow that you're not going to win as often but when if you I'm win it's gonna I lose, pay. there's another pick five starting in 20 that's minutes something. that's the problem i know we mentioned that's the problem people have i think and i used to have where you know i want to hit the sequence and instead of what's a good bet and you know i'll lose a lot of sequences but when like i, I said, hit i'm gonna get anybody out. if anybody wants to tell me that using three horses in every race where three horses supposedly locks it up where they either win nothing or lose everything then just, like I said, I'll give you that proposition all day. I mean, how, 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 can, how can that be right in the long term? I mean, let me, let me, yeah. I mean if, you like, if you like 20 to one shots in every race and you're singling them, then go right ahead, all right? But nobody else, nobody's doing that. That's not what people do. Like if, that, if you're presented with that sequence in a, if you're presented, if you're presented with that situation as sequence, and that situation comes up a lot where, yeah. where you have, you know, two horses, sometimes three horses, sometimes it's four horses. Right. But you know it, when you see it, you say only two horses can win this race. Everybody's going to be going too deep. Only three horses can win. That's where you need to say, Hey, this is where I need to do something that is different from the rest. If I do the same thing, everybody's doing, it's worthless. Right. You know, I either need to beat those, I need, I need to use one of those three horses or God forbid, get to one of those, get to somebody that isn't one of those three horses, get to the fourth, fifth or sixth or seventh horse. Okay. But those three horses are worthless as a three square in that sequence, unless you're doing something completely heroic in the other. Right. Ones. Right. And most, people, right? Aren't, and most so. people aren't. That's right. right. You know, if, if people are using three deep in there and, and, and do, and saying, I, whenever I see that, I, I do it. Right. Well, that they're, that they're just not the heroic type. I mean, it's just not, you know, that's just, it's just, it's a ridiculous theory. That's yeah, I not, like I we all do it. We all do it once in a while, but only when we're forced to like, on, like I said, only when the rest of the sequence 
leads to doing it. Like, I, you know, I mean, like if you like three or four of the, if you like three of the other races and you have a very strong opinion in it and you're very narrow, then go ahead. But that's just not how it is, you know, and, in, mo in most sequences. And 90, I said, well, oh, 95% of the sequences aren't like that. You know what I mean? Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, if you're singling like a 12 to one shot in another leg, then that's yeah, the time exactly. maybe it's worthwhile. Yeah. Um, being heroic, although I'm not always right when I'm heroic like that, I'm often wrong, but um, that's another story. I have one more question, then I'll turn it over to GQ to kind of finish up. I know we kept you for a while. Um, I don't explain it well, but I'm very much against, and I've heard you are against it too, so it makes me happy, like the ABC method, that, whether it was Steve Chris or DRF, whoever does that. Can you talk for a moment about that, if you're familiar with it, and, and why it's maybe not a, a smart method, unless you disagree with me, but I think you, you're no, on no, it's the No, no, it's the absolute worst thing that's ever been, ever been fed to horse players. Uh, you know, I mean, you just see everybody, they play ABC, ABC method. Like, first off, you know, I've heard, I've heard smart people say, well, I, you know, I all, you know, fit, I, favorites are always my age, right? Well, that's, 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 that's one of the main problems with it is because people, people put the ABCs as the horses they think they like, okay? It's really not a value thing, all right? So all the favorites will gravitate towards A's, all right? And then if you don't have a favorite as an A, it's almost always a B, all right? Well, a favorite that's a B should never be used. Because if you've got a favorite as a B, you're saying, hell, I don't like this favorite, right? So if a favorite's a B, he should never be used. But these people are using him for Bs, right? And then on the C line, if you, God forbid, you have a favor on the C line, you should never, ever bet $1 on him. If you have a five to one shot on the C line, you should never use him. And yet when you see all these C lines come out, people have four and five and six to one shots. You know, C should only be reserved for like 20s and 30s. And if they're on the C line at 20 or 30, because they're 20 or 30, they should automatically become Bs, okay? So everything's flawed about how you label your horses, A, Bs, or Cs. Then what happens next is in all the races, it's automatically, it's automatically basically said that the gap between A's and B's is the same. Well, if you, if I have five races and I have horses I like better than others, the gaps in each ones are wider. Sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll gap a five to one ratio. Sometimes I'll gap a two to one ratio. Sometimes I'll gap a 10 to one ratio on what I think the gap is and how much I'll play that gap for, right? So now you've got all the gaps the same. So now you've got a flawed concept of how the horses are labeled, a flawed gapping system, and then you multiply it by how many legs are in the, in the sequence. So it just multiplies the problems with the entire thing. And it's like, that's, it's just, it's just incredibly inefficient. And just, I can't even tell you like, just the whole theory of it is just wrong. I mean, I'm just shocked how many I, I people just kind do of it. did. I mean, it's just terrible. It's and I'm, like people who supposedly know what they're doing, do it all the time and talk about it. You know, I know. Podcasts where they're writing out their tickets and it's A this, B this. And I just can't, I, I'm with you. I can't believe it and yeah, that well, they make money, but. 
Well, like I, like I said, they're they're not making money. That's you know that's why they're analysts and whatever. They're getting yeah, paid. That's true. So, that's true. Because um, there's just nobody. There's nobody that can 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 wait five races equally. Like if you see them, they'll all play the A's to the B's for the same number. They'll all play the A's to the C's for this. There's no possible way. I mean, there just can't be equal gaps between each each layer of the A's to the B's and all six races. It's just, mm -hmm. it's impossible. I mean, it's just. You almost have to go like A to F or something so you can layer it, which is still not good, but you can layer it where you have the. Yeah. There's the nothing wrong with layers. So you might not have There's, a B or C, but you have an F or, well, or a D. That would, that would be way better. If A to F was a 5X gap, like I talked about, right? right? Then that's fine. Then that would show you, hey, A's 5X better than F or A is 10X better, you know, than, than you know, L whatever. or whatever, yeah. you know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah. And like that, that would be fine, but that's not what they're doing. And, and, and not only that, like it doesn't take value into consideration. People put three horses on their A line. If you put three horses on your A line that you all think can win and one of them's eight to five, one of them's nine to five and the other one's 12 to one, then you should just throw the eight to five, nine to five shot on the ground because you've got a 12 to one shot on the same level as the A. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can you possibly play the eight to five shot and the nine to, nine to five shot for the equal amount you're playing the 12 to one shot? And you think they all have the same chance to win. Mm -hmm. it, it's, just, it's just unbelievable how stupid the whole concept is. And yet somehow an entire gener two generations of horse players is now stuck on ABC as being the, you know, the gold standard for wagering on pick X bets. It's just impossible. And it's impossible how nobody can look at that, how all these people can't look at that and say, this is a hunk of shit. I mean, this is, this is terrible. Nobody would wager like this if they're trying to win. It's just, it's just so inefficient. How can something so inefficient and stupid be, you know, what I'm gauging my wagers on? I guess on the bright side, the people who aren't doing it, people like yourself, I mean, I'm not doing it. I know Tommy Masters is not like that either are able to make money off of these people. That's about the right side, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, you just, you're, you're, you're inefficiently, you know, whittling your way into oblivion with your bankroll doing stuff like that. It's just, you know, you'll, it, like I see people, like they play, they play the A's, they literally play the A line and the AB lines for the same thing. It's amazing. Like when they put out their tickets, like each combo is 50 cents. Well, if all A's come in, they still only have 50 cents. Like, how's that possible? How can you have, how can you have two B's come in and you, st and you have that for the same as if you write every race, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just incredible. Like, you know, some of them gap it out dollar to 50 cents or $2 to a dollar. But I mean, it's just, when you look at it, it's like, how can anybody waste ink on this? It's just, <laughs> it's just, it, when, when, when you know what you're doing and you know how bad it is, it's just incredible. All these people can fall for this as being some path to, you know, playing your opinion. It's impossible. Yeah. That, that, that's it. And, and I, I'll give if, if that kind of stuff was in like DFS or poker, it would be, it would be universally, you know, ridiculed immediately and be, sent to the showers and basically everybody everybody that was top level in that in that facet of gambling would just laugh at it and just like nobody we even know about it anymore but in racing somehow it's like 
dug its roots in and everybody you it's just it's incredible like it's just incredible the gap between the talent level and other gambling games and horse racing to where so i'm guessing you're not a uh drf ticket maker uh user then <laughs> no That's, i'm not yeah, no, i know um no, G- i i have the itp ticket maker in my head <laughs> and i'm sure it's much better um gq if you want to uh I- i'm basically uh done I-, I know you have a few questions to uh, to finish up the other thing is we did promise one of our uh, listeners about the contest question so if you can work that in quickly i know you- I-, I don't think itp is a contest player but if you can work it in or I'll jump back at the very end, but sure, no, otherwise yeah, let me turn it over to you. Um, yeah, your, your opinion on contests, uh, you know, one of our listeners wanted to find out if you are a contest player and if not, um, maybe your reasonings. I, I play the, I play the odd live money bankroll once in a while. Um, okay. yeah, I, uh, I've, I've, I've had a little success. Uh, I don't, it's just contests are just math. Here, here's the thing I, I have a, have against contests. You know, it you have your mandatory race or whatever, and a lot of these guys like hold off until the end, and they just want to be in the game within an earshot and get down to the last race, and they realize they need at least a twelve to one to win. So that's who they're batting. Has nothing to do with handicapping. I know. That's what I said. It's all math. Right. And so, oh, they're the world's greatest handicapper, and they hang their hat on for the rest of their life that they won the you know national handicapping championship in 2002 because uh, luck, you know, shined well, upon them. Yeah, the the NHC is different because you know it's just that that's a crapshoot. But the 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 live money tournaments are just math and like and and it's just math and you know hitting hitting one race or two races that's all it is right some people some people make it to where you have to hit more but you know in in general theory you want to have to hit the least races as possible right now um you know i I, yeah i mean i don't want to go into it too much more than that it's (laughs) the 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 live money bankroll the live money bankroll contest, the players are not, they've got, they're getting better, but they're still way less than efficient. Okay. And like, you know, that's one of the things like, I, it's just not, you know, I've played in some BCBCs and, you know, I've just never hit, I've, I've never hit, I've never hit the two races I need to hit. You know? Right. So, but that's basically, you know, I mean, other people have different strategies, but there's basically one strategy that's correct. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's just, contests are just math. I mean, that's all it is. Just doubling back real quick on uh, talking about when we put together a ticket and you find where you have to cut out some legs. I, it's to my opinion that the average horse player who does that, they're afraid about being eliminated Correct. Uh, and, and so that's why they'll cut from their larger leg instead of, like you said, all right, you're three deep, cut it down to one. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, I, and it, it's that mentality that, oh, I want to be alive for as long yeah. as possible. And that's not it's, the way to play it. It's all, it's all psychological. It's all mentality. 
it's everything but doing the best thing for the long term. Right. Exactly. And, All right. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's have... and that's what you'll see. I mean, you know, another thing like a whole generation has been brought up watching TVG and the tickets they give out. <laughs> like, and that's that's another thing I talk about all the time. Like you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't poison an entire generation that's trying to learn to get better, you know, and just kill them off before they have any chance to learn to get better. Right. And yeah, and that's what they do. And like they, they never explain nothing because they don't understand anything. So thank God they don't explain anything. But what they do explain, you know, is wrong, you know, 80% of the time when it comes to wagering strategy, if not more, you know, like we talked about earlier, like you got guys on there that tell you like advertise the all button and stuff like that. And like, it's just wrong. I mean, they act like it's, they act like you need to do it. Like it's a must. And it's just, you know, and all these tickets with ABC, ABC, ABC. I mean, it's just, and, and people look at that, that, you know, I mean, TVG has a huge reach. I mean, a bunch of people turn on horse racing and they see TVG. I mean, TVG's on every day. And like, that's where people come to find horse racing. And that's where you get new players from. And they just basically tell them, you know, here's what it is, and kill you off, and it's just bad. It's bad for the gambling ecosystem. Like, it'd be way better if they got smarter, quicker, or had a little bit of longevity before they left to at least have a chance to go forward. Now, obviously, that makes everybody that makes that makes the the population of horse players smarter in the long run. But it also makes everything better because everything grows. And when everything grows, you get a bunch of other people coming in. And when this person knows their neighbor who's betting the horses and excited about it, you know, they come in too. You know, just like, like, like if you remember, like when Blackjack, when Blackjack had all those card counting books come out, there were a million people all from the United States that thought they could win card counting and they all flew to Vegas and with pockets of money and they just all thought they could win, but it's not that easy, but you have to give them hope that they can win. Right. You know what I mean? And if you give people hope that they can win, they'll play. And, and that's how you develop customers. If you give people no hope and they deposit $200 and they're on zero after playing a few of their tickets and then they do it again and they're, they're done. There's no hope. Right. It doesn't matter if they can win. It's that they have hope that they can win or they have hope that they can get better or they have hope that, you know, someday they'll be able to be a winner, you know, and that's what racing doesn't give these people is any hope. So and that's in, why, that's why there's zero growth. So in, in order to introduce people to horse racing, whether it's through the guy who turns on TVG and says, yeah, I want to give that a shot. Or, you know, every horse player have, has friends who always wants to go out to the track and lean on the guy who knows what he's talking about to make bets. Is it, is it a lost cause to try to teach them the right way as far as what type of bets to make so that they're not done after their first 
yeah, no, nothing's a lost cause. You want to teach them things that if they pick up on will help them. Um, you just can't, you can't feed them crap and kill them, which is exactly what racing analysts do, TVG does. I mean, that's all, that's all they do. I mean, they don't give them any chance to progress, any chance to keep their bankroll alive for a while. It's just put deposit and redeposit and redeposit. I mean, that's all they advertise. Play this ticket, redeposit. Play this ticket, we'll give you a $10 bonus. Play this ticket, we'll give you $10. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's a nonstop cycle. They just think people will never run out of money. And that's why handles decimated because they're not developing any customers. Like, I mean, it's just, they don't, they have no sense of customer development. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. When, when Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker, right? There was just a regular guy that went and he won the World Series of Poker. It gave people hope, right? right? And like poker boom, everybody yeah. started playing home games. They all started playing poker. I mean, within three years, poker like times 20, you yeah. know what I mean? Sure. And, and just off that hope that Chris Moneymaker, because everybody could look at Chris Moneymaker and say, Hey, this guy's just like me. He's not a pro, mm -hmm. you know, he's just doing the right thing at the right time and getting a little lucky and whatever, but it gives people hope. They didn't bring Chris money to make to the table and, and, and feed him poison in one second and send them home. Right. There would have been no growth. You know what I mean? But that's what racing doesn't do it. You know, you've got TVG giving out $10 win bets on two to five shots. You got them giving out, you know, $36 pick four tickets that are, you know, like the guy on the uh, Nick Hines gave out a $24 pick four ticket at Los Alamos and night was the worst ticket I've ever seen in my life. It paid $9. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you just can't, you can't do that. Right. And, and I, I know it's not Nick Hines' fault and I know it's not whoever it's, it's the people behind the scenes that don't understand that if you, if you put people to either teach the people that are on air how to win or how to at least bet properly, okay? Not even how to win. It's how, it's what not to do. How's that? If you can, if you can bring in a person or people to teach the people who are providing this information and tickets and stuff to their, their customers what not to do, okay? And... If TVG says you have to give out a $10 bet in this race with a one to five shot. Okay. I need to, or sorry, somebody else would need to teach the person who's telling them that not to tell them that. Okay. Right. Because that's what's not to do. So basically you need somebody to come in and tell everybody what not to do to kill their customers because from top to bottom, nobody has any idea. And like, that's, you know, and they'll say, well, our handle's still good. No, it's not. Every, everybody else that is in your, in your sector gambling, handle is skyrocketing. Sports betting skyrocketing. DFS is, off, DFS is off the charts. You know, poker when allowed. If poker had your setup, it would be off the charts, okay? It's like every, stock markets off the charts right now. There's so much inflow of new money in stock markets. You are the only gambling game that is stuck in the mud and has been stuck in the, it's because you do not know what you're doing. 
you're killing your customers. And like, they just don't get it. And it's, believe me, it starts at the top and it feeds down to the bottom. So I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just blaming everybody. I, I always thought that, you anybody know, specific, yeah. To, to feel like you're, you're not going to lose your shirt betting the horses, it's a, it's a big learning curve because Correct. we, we feed, we feed you the daily racing form or whatever your preferred, you know, past performances are. And it's like, what the hell is this? And how do I read it? And whatever. And it's almost like telling somebody, here's a set of golf clubs, go out and play 18. It just yeah. doesn't happen. And you get frustrated Yeah. and people run out of money before they know Correct. what they're doing. That That's, that's what I'm, you can't, in racing, you have to give them time to settle in and right. figure stuff out. It's not an overnight thing. You cannot just kill them instantly. And you can't, you can't kill them slowly either because they just never come back. I mean, once, once, people, once people deposit money five times and they, they never win a quarter, it's like, I'm never playing that game again. Right. And then they go tell their friends. You know, I, I bet racing, why would you do, it's the worst game. I'm listening to experts and they never win. You know, that's another thing. That's oh, another yeah. problem that racing has. When the experts never win, when, when, the, when the people that racing calls experts lose their money all the time, then the regular person just looks at that and says, these guys are experts right. and they all, all they do is lose. I have no chance. Right. So it's like they give up. I mean, like I said, everything racing does for customer retention is just completely backwards. And that's why, you know, handles down 50% adjusted for inflation and basically, you know, 15 years. I mean, that's any other business would basically be dead. The racing's only alive because of the slot welfare. So right. if they didn't have slot welfare, they'd be dead too. So you got to look at it that way. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask one last question and I appreciate the, the extended amount of time you gave us ITP. Um, it was uh, well worth it as far as uh, myself, I'm sure Eric and everyone who cares to listen to us. I would like to find out from you, what was the most valuable betting lesson that you came across in your life that kind of like the light bulb went on and said, okay, I've been doing this wrong. This is how I should do it. At what point in time? And, and was it one particular thing? Yeah, I, I, it's not really that easy, but like, I think I told, when I first started going to races, I went with my grandparents and they always bet the favorites. And like, just by watching them and watching their results for a very short time, I, you know, I was 10, 11, I was 12 years old. And like, I just by watching them, I realized that that wasn't, this was wrong, if that <laughs> makes sense. Like, you know, every race it was, you know, you know. Everybody's betting chalk in their list. Yeah, every race it was, you know, they look up at the board and they'd see the favorite and they'd go, yeah, give me five to win on Shoemaker or 10 <laughs> to win on Shoemaker, you know, or Pink High, right? And it's like, I said to myself, wow, this is, this is not right. I, you know, and it's like, I, I realized it instantly and, you know, and that's just part of them, you know, things I told you, you got to learn, you've got just as you go on, you learn and getting back to that, the customer retention thing. And, you know, if I, 
when I was learning and betting, now I I became proficient pretty quickly. But if I took a while to be to get proficient, and once again, I I got proficient when I had no responsibilities, you know, no, you know, no no bills, you know, stuff like that. It's like it's so much easier to get proficient when you have when you don't have that, when you have bills to pay and mortgages to pay and stuff like that. It's very tough to be losing money at the races all the time. So most people don't have that luxury and and most people you know also wouldn't spend the time that i spent to be become proficient in learning stuff and figuring stuff out and so that that that's the thing is you know most people most people need a little help to become proficient and racing just doesn't give them that so you know they don't know i like when I sit, when I sit here and I say, yeah, I don't like the favorite. Well, you, you can bet every amount of dollar on your po- in your pocket that that favorite's not on any of my tickets. Right. <laughs> when somebody at TVG says, I don't like the favorite and they put up their ticket, the favorite's usually on it. I'm trying to beat the favorite in this race and they're three deep with the favorite. So like just stuff like that is just, you know, it just teaches people the wrong stuff from the moment they, you know, the moment they enter the game and start that learning process, you know, think about anything you've ever del- delved into in your life and you needed help from people to learn, you know, if, if you started playing baseball and an umpire started telling you the rules of the game and he told you to run to third first, you know, you hit the ball and you run to the third, right? You know, just stuff that's completely wrong when you don't even know the rules of the game. You just start off with a bad foundation and you have no chance. Right. You know, and, you know, and like, that's what racing does. I mean, they just, they just feed people stuff that just kills them. And, and they think it's the right thing to do because they're inducing them to bet, but inducing them to bet on something they're going to get killed on is not a long-term strategy for any business, like would a restaurant, the first time you came in, serve you a meal that makes you sick? No, because you're not going to get their business again, just to get the $50. You know what I mean? Right. From you at that time. Well, that's what racing does. They're just in, like I said, somebody needs to tell somebody who tells the other people to give out a $10 win bet on a one to five shot. Do not do this. Okay. That's, but that's, that's the problem. It's just, it's a total chain of just incompetence where the people who are giving out the orders don't know anything. And the people who are doing it don't know or are too scared to fight back. They're too worried about their paychecks. So it's just like, okay, my, my boss told me to kill my customers. I'm in for it and just start killing them, you know? And it's just, you know, it's just, it's a plague in the industry and, and customer retention and customer growth is non-existent. And, you know, the only, the only thing that's going to change that is a complete, you know, destroying everything that they do right now and changing it. I mean, that's, you know, there's just no way, there's no, there, there, there's just too many people that don't know anything in positions of power and they keep their jobs 
And there's no other business that would let people keep their jobs with the numbers they have. And, you know, basically needing, needing slot welfare and everything to stay in business. Right. Yeah. And these people are still making decisions. It's just, it's scary. And there's no growth. And, you know, I care about the game. That's why I want growth. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm just, you know, I've always loved it, you know, since I've owned horses, I've bred horses, I've trained horses, you know, I've, since I was a kid, I mean, I think I was 23 when I owned my first horse and uh, yeah, it's just been, you know, I, it's been my whole life and I, I know how great the game is and I just want it to go on and I wanted to compete with all these others, you know, gambling, you know, sports, gambling, poker, but they just don't have any will or want to do any work to do that. Everything's just, and it's just going to die. I mean, it's, it's sad. And right. And that, and um, that's why you're critical because you're frustrated how it's been run over the last few decades. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've told, you know, things weren't as dire, you know, 20 years ago as they are now, but you know, I've tried to help in everything whenever I've been around and, talk to everybody and just, you know, it's just, it's just, it's the most frustrating thing I've basically had in my life. Hmm. You know, it's just, it's amazing how, how easy it is to fix some things and nobody wants to lift a finger to do the right thing. Just the easy stuff. When you won't fix the easy stuff, you know, how is anything that means anything going to get accomplished? Right. So it's just, it's just frustrating. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I get mad and hey, hate to hate to end your visit on such a downer, but uh, it, we we learned so much about the game and and what uh, what we should be doing right if we want to be profitable or at least stay in the game and enjoy it as much as we do. Um, again, uh, I thank you very much, ITP, for taking the time. Uh, to uh, express your opinions and, and share your thoughts and, and strategies uh, with everyone. Uh, Eric, uh, if you have any closing comments, I'll let you know. No, just, yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on and staying so long. It was very generous. Uh, when, I, when I first spoke to you about this, I figured maybe you come on for like a half hour, 45 minutes, and you stay for a good hour, 45. So that's very nice. Next time we're going to have to talk a little hockey, though. I know you're yeah. a big uh, Golden Knights fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Islander fan. And, yeah, I've actually that. been a fan of the team for like 35, 40 years. I don't know how you can be such a big Golden Knight fan when they're around like three years, but that's another story for another day, I guess. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's like, you know, I, I, I haven't really been a fan of any teams through my life. Maybe the Angels when I was a kid, when I used to go to the games. But, I, you know, as a, as a better, you kind of don't have any fandom. But when I've always liked hockey, I've been to games all over. And, uh, you know, when the Knights came, I said, you know, I got to be a fan. So. <laughs> well they you know they come to your town you got to support them i mean that's all there is to it they took yeah. a chance i grew up uh, like five minute drive from the nasa coliseum when the islanders played so we set season tickets go all the time and yeah. i think if we still had the goalie that you guys indirectly got from us i think we might have won the cup this year because our goalie fell apart in the yeah i don't know but... why they let him go for i mean that was <sighs> weird i know I, they I, wouldn't find yeah. i mean they could have gave him something to keep him there they well i think there was yeah i think there was two reasons uh, number one, the, they have a guy named uh, Sorokin. I forgot his first name, a Russian goalie who's like the top yeah, yeah, goalie. Yeah, yeah. 
NHL. Anyway, so they wanted to get um, the, the Russian guy. I'm blanking for a, a minute because he did so bad in the playoffs. Um, Georgia? Uh, yeah, they, uh, Varlamov. They, they got oh, him Varlamov. because yeah, he yeah, trains yeah. with him and he would like be a guy because they weren't sure if the Russian kid would come over. And I honestly think they were a little nervous. This is my own opinion. I think they were a little nervous about Leonard going forward, just kind of keeping it together mentally and all. I just personally think that was the case, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I would have loved yeah, to have I, him this year. I, believe me, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not. I have nothing against Leonard, but I just wish we wouldn't have got him because I knew well, it was. created a controversy, right? Yeah. 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 So is like, Flurry back or no? Is, huh? is, is Flurry back or is his contract up? No, he, we got him for two more years. The, they're going to have to get rid of him, though. We can't keep him. You don't want the agent uh, putting out more pictures of uh, knives in the back and all? You no, know that we, just, we need the seven million. We need the seven, <laughs> seven, seven and a half million a year for others for something else. Well, good luck finding someone to take him. But yeah, nobody will take out. him. No one will take our guys either. So everyone's yeah, tapped out. Yeah, I know that. Anyway, <laughs> all right. I won't keep any longer, but I no love talking to you next time. I, I had to do the show because, like, uh, yeah, I couldn't let I couldn't let you guys have Balin and and Ed with, and DeRosa without me here. So <laughs> now, now we got to get Jason Beam out. I don't know if his contract will allow, but we got to yeah, get him. He'll, he'll come on. He's been doing a lot lately. He's hot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I bet Grant's passed for the first time the other night for him. So <laughs> I yeah. know you've helped uh, support them as well. So anyway, I, I really appreciate you coming on again. I know GQ does too. And uh, really through the years, learned so much from you, just even just watching you on Twitter and other podcasts. So I, thanks again. I try, I try to help and like, that's the best I can do. I don't, uh, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people don't help. I know, you know, there's, there's a few other people that tell me I'm an idiot for trying to help people. Why do you help? I mean, you know, there are a few winners out there and, and uh, yeah, I get, I get chastised by a few of them. So, well, but I, I can't help myself. I want, you know, I want the game to grow. So. Right. Yes. And it's much appreciated. So again, thanks for joining us and, and hopefully we'll talk soon. All right, Eric and Gary, thanks for everything. Thanks okay. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. So that wraps up our show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, real, real thanks to Inside the Pylons for staying so long with us. Uh, wealth of knowledge. I, I wish I could ask them 800 more questions, but uh, I didn't want to keep them too much longer. So once again, thanks him, GQ. Thanks to you as well. And thanks to you guys out there for listening. Good luck this weekend if you're playing the races. And we look forward to getting back to uh, some handicapping as well as some betting next week. Talk to you then. Have a great weekend. So long.